I mean, come on, that gets me fired up to read the Bible, doesn't it? Come on, why don't you stand back up just one more time. I'm going to keep you on your toes today, keep the blood flowing. Jordan, I think I messed up the verses for you, so maybe just leave the logo up and we'll, because uh, when you click on it, it's going to do something weird. But uh, I want to read to you this morning just two verses from Romans chapter 1. One of the things that I want you to know is that we are not in seminary class during this series, so there is so much here that I'm not going to cover, and I just want you to know that. Um, we're going to release some extra YouTube episodes and podcast episodes with some different people talking about some of those other details, so stay tuned to that. But for our purposes on Sunday, I really want to lean into some of the things that Paul the Apostle challenged uh, that Roman church with. And so let's do that today. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And uh, we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The Bible says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let that seep into your soul. In our 21st century post-secular moment, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Oh, he got it up. You're the man, Jordan. Fixing my mistakes. Why is it then that so many Christians, and maybe if we were honest, perhaps you and me, you and I, do not, will not, share our faith with our friends, our co-workers, our families, our neighbors. Why is that? Have you ever just stopped to really let yourself Go there to let yourself wonder why it is. Now, some of you don't struggle with this, and that's amazing. But there are so many Christians today that do. I was just doing some light research and just stumbled on some stuff that Barna Research Group has done over the past 10 years. And 38% of born-again adult Christians, so ones who believe relatively what we would believe, only 38% have ever shared their faith. Can I just pause and tell you on behalf of Jesus today? That was not the goal. That was not the goal. Right? When, when Jesus looked his disciples in the eyes... As he was ascending back to heaven and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, and I will be with you always. He had us in mind. Maybe you've heard it said this way, the church is plan A and there is no plan B. 
We are the plan, right? Paul told a different church in Corinth that we are Christ's ambassadors. Then this part blows me away. God making his appeal to the world through us. I'm like, man, you, you, had, you could have had a better plan than me, right? No, no, no. He doesn't make mistakes. We are his representatives on earth. Those kingdom cars that are available in the back, they're just a tool to help you think about what that looks like in your context. Who are the eight people in your circle that need to know? In case you're feeling bad about that, I'll pick on myself. According to Barna, two in five pastors believe their congregation is actively sharing their faith. So even pastors notice our congregations aren't sharing, but but here's the indictment in that. And yet only 16% of those pastors have any meaningful training to equip their people how to share their faith. Wow. I could probably keep going and make all of us feel bad, but that's probably not why you showed up today. And that's not really the direction I want to go with that information. However, I do think there is a moment for us to pause and say, maybe I'm not doing my job very well. Right? When we talk about vocation, and we talked about that a lot in the Gospel of John, what is the vocation that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that you're on mission with God? That is part of what you are doing here. But think about it. What's the why behind us not sharing our faith or most Christians not sharing our faith? Think about it. When an opportunity arises for you to share your faith, what is your internal dialogue? What is the thing that happens inside of you? I think, in my opinion, I I think of three things that could potentially happen. Number one, you don't even notice because you're actually a practical atheist. Right? You're, you, you would say, I believe in God, but there really isn't any practical or meaningful change in the way that you or I orient our lives toward Jesus and live as though all of the things in this book are true. Right? Because, because if they are, has to be different. My, my world, my life, my steps have to be different. Like, you cannot read this, right? And come to a different conclusion. Like some things have to change. And so if they're not, even though you're saying that, that there is a practical side that would say your life lives the life of an atheist. So practical atheism. That's option one. Number two, you notice and you immediately pull back because you feel what that passage said. You feel that shame. Something about the gospel brings shame. And I think that's one of the enemy's greatest. I think that's one of Satan's greatest tools in his tool belt. Is if when you have the opportunity to step into a moment and tell somebody about Jesus, who we all would admit is the greatest thing that ever happened to anybody. And you pull back in shame. That That's an incredible tactic of the devil but then number three i think there are those moments where you step into that moment and you share your faith i think those are the three options that we have when those things arise and i wonder 
what happens. And on the more noble side of that, right, if we pull back and don't share, uh, we can simply point out that we are in a difficult secular moment, post-secular moment. Nobody out there even knows what they believe. So we're, we're in a difficult moment and we do need training. But isn't it, it isn't easy to invite people to consider Jesus anymore because, my opinion, the reason it's not so easy is because even in this moment that we find ourselves, the thing that is more compelling is that you have a life that matches what you're saying. Maybe it is that we can't get to the point Paul was where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation is because we haven't been changed by the power of God. That's a hard thing to swallow, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. But the reality is, is that when we encounter the Son of God, when we look at the Scripture and people encounter the Son of God or the transfigured Jesus or any of the stories through the Scriptures, the people who walk away from God have been changed. They have. Now listen, here's the flip side of that. And this is our confession as human beings is that almost unanimously, all of those people who were changed by the presence of God ended up still sinning later. (laughs) So what I'm not saying to you is you're going to arrive at perfection, but what I am saying is encountering Jesus in a real and powerful way changes the way we see our sin. Does that make sense? It has to. Hudson Taylor, one one of the great missionaries of the past who founded the China Inland Mission in the late 1800s, wrote this about the stages of a work of God. So every great work of God, he said, has these three stages. First of all, it's impossible. So when you step out to share your faith, you can, you can recognize this is an impossible task apart from Christ. It's impossible. Number two, he said, it's difficult. It's not easy. But then I love this. He said, it's impossible, it's difficult, but then the third stage of a great work of God is, it is done. Amen? It is impossible, it is difficult, but God is doing what he said he would do. One of my takeaways from being in Cambodia the last week was just that we're an immensely selfish people. And I'm talking about myself. Just... We, we have been discipled in our cultural moment really well. That what's mine is mine. It's not to be shared. I, and we could go on, right? You get what, you pick up what I'm laying down. We're immensely selfish people. And so what, what we do when we come and gather as a church is, is we're fighting against this tide that says people are out to get what I have and they can't have it and I gotta keep building my kingdom. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle to come back to this and say, what is it that God is doing in a church? What is it that God is doing around the world? And how do we be a part of that? So the other side of that, and I think it's true for most of you, and it is for me, is that most of us do want to share our faith. Most of us do want to experience the power of God in their life. Most of us do want to grow. We do want to be bold. We want to be those people. But how do we get, and this is the question for today, how do we get to the point where we can say what Paul said? I am not 
ashamed of the gospel. How do we get to that point? And, and you need to think about that in the sense of wherever it is that you find it most difficult to share your faith. Like that moment, if it's at work, if it's with your family, if it's with your friends, wherever that is, what is it that causes you and me to pull back even just a little bit and not share? What is that? Shame. Shame. Let me just define it for you. Here's what the dictionary defines shame as. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Wow. We've all experienced shame and it is, it is powerful, isn't it? But I was thinking about that this week. Wrong or foolish behavior. Is that what I would categorize me not stepping into the moment and sharing my faith? I've really been pondering that and I want you to ponder it with me. Because if God, Jesus Christ, gave his life, set you free and then said, now you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples of all nations. And then we get to the New Testament church and it's happening. And he says, you're my ambassadors. I'm making my appeal to the world through you. He are on our kingdom cards. Mark 5:19. Go home to your friends and tell them about all that God has done. And I never do that. What is that? What does the scripture say? And I know I'm stepping on all of our toes today and it's intentional. And sometimes we have to have our toes stepped on. And mine have been stepping on ever since I got off that plane in Cambodia. And I looked around and Pastor Pond is so happy and he's telling people about Jesus. He says, this is my pastor friend and I'm very obvious when I get to Cambodia. I'm very tall and very white and it's a thing. And I'm just like, man, I, man, I, I just felt the weight of that. I was like, man, I, I stink at this. <laughs> like... This guy is on fire. What does the scripture say about to him who knows what to do and does not do it? It is what? What does the scripture say? Sin. And I've been wrestling with that all plane ride all this week. There's so many aspects of my life that. To him who knows what to do and does not do it is sin. I was just thinking about another way to say that is to ask the question, how do I get to no shame about the gospel when I'm deeply ingrained in sin? You see, it's not not even just those things that are on the surface level, like I'm not doing what God says, right? There are sins of commission and omission. There are things that I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing. There's things I'm not supposed to do that I am doing, right? We could just dive in and talk all about those things and we all know what they are, but think about it. Can I really say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation if I'm deeply ingrained in sexual sin or if I'm deeply ingrained in greed? I love my money more than anything else. Or if I'm, right, right, like one of the things the Bible tells pastors to do is command the rich to be generous. Whoa. Can I really get to the point where I am not ashamed of the power of God 
because it's the gospel, it's good news to everybody around me when I'm judging others and hating people. Jesus says, if you even look at somebody with hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Can I get to the point where I'm, where I, where I say I have no shame in the gospel when I'm hating people on the side? No, I I can't. Like I, I'm not going to share my faith if I don't even love people. If I love my money, if I love my sin. And we, listen, we could go on and on and on. And so if I didn't hit your sin, just tack yours in there. It fits, I promise. It's there. Right? I mean, down to stupid stuff like driving. My kids make fun of me like, Dad, that gets on to people when you drive. I'm like, no, I don't. Don't tell people that. <laughs> I'm very, I'm a passive driver. They're like, yeah, right, you're a liar now. And we could just all go, right? Like, just the grip of sin, right? Like, it, that's the funniest one, right? Because somebody cuts you off, you get mad, and then you inevitably end up at the next light right next to them, right? And you're like... Not here. I was on the phone. I wasn't talking to you. I was like, it's like, right? But we could go on. Like, we could just do all the things. And the reality is, can, can I say it to you this way? I think we all, every single one of us, need to be much more suspicious of our flesh than we are. Why do I want that? Why do I do that? Why am I going there? Why? Why don't I want to call that person? Why don't I want to confess my sin? Why don't I want... What, what is it? I think we need to be much more suspicious. Think about what John said toward the end of his ministry in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and following. He says, This is the message we have heard from the beginning and proclaim to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the gospel. What does the gospel do? It breaks down all those things. Listen to verse 8, though. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What's the problem with his word not being in us? John told us in John chapter 1 of his gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The word died for your sins. He rose again so that you could have life, so that you could have victory over sin and find life in his name and then he would indwell you with his spirit. And so this is all tied together. So, so, so I think we come and we're bored in worship because we are at the center of our worship, right? And our sin doesn't bother us as much because if I'm at the center of my worship, then my sin's not a problem, right? Maybe we're not sharing it because we're not experiencing it, right? Let me lay on the plane here. I want to get to communion because that's where the power is. But let's lay on the plane. What does sin do? Why is it such a thing in our lives? (laughs) 
I think there's three things that sin does. It has a penalty, it has power, and it has presence. Penalty, power, presence. Listen, death is the penalty for sin. Right? Scripture says for the wages of sin, the payment, the penalty for sin is death. You have a date with death and the death rate hovers at 100%. Minus a few people in the Old Testament. Caveat. But for you and I, it's 100%. <laughs> Unless you got some, some like, you know, like Enoch vibes that I'm not sure about. Death is the penalty for sin. It's coming. Some of you are walking through grief right now because of death. Some of you lost people in 2023. Death. It's the penalty for a sinful world. But what's the power that sin has? Slavery. Right? How many times did Paul write to the churches that he loved, you don't need to be a slave. Don't go back to that. You have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Don't return again to a slavery of sin. Slavery is the power that sin has over you. And as for its presence, it's hiding. It's hiding from others in shame. Maybe you've heard it this way, you're only as sick as your secrets. Shame. What does sin do? Power, penalty, presence. What does the gospel do? What is Paul saying when he says, I'm not... Why did he choose the word ashamed when he wrote this glorious thing? Because it has power there. So when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's because it's the power of God from salvation. So what does the gospel do? The gospel of Jesus Christ frees you from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Come on, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were, here it is, dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, listen to this word, together, all of us, with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So we we have dead in our sins, the penalty is death, but God, right? Second, we, in Romans 6, 6, listen to this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So the power of sin being brought to nothing because it's put to death. Why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to our sin. The power that sin has over you. Listen, you can walk out of here and choose to sin, but because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working through you, you can also walk out of here and choose not to. That is totally an option on the table for you and for me because of Jesus. I feel super convicted about that, by the way. Because I have a lot of people that live in my house with me that are like, if that's true, looking for improvement out of you, big guy. Right? Right? Like, why does it say that God made us alive together? Right? Because there's accountability here, isn't there? Like, if God's moving and that's the power available to me, 
Together we are experiencing these things. It's so critical. And then finally, the presence of sin. What is God doing in that? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. When we come and take communion together, I get to stand here and say to you that because of the body and blood of Jesus, God forgives you for whatever it is that you have done. It's gone. That's the power of God. Listen to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You have the choice to set your mind where you want to set it. Where are you setting your mind? Bringing it all back together. Then Paul finishes that glorious statement in Romans 1 by stating that the righteous shall live by faith. How do you do any of that? You trust God. You trust Him. You trust Him that His word is true. You trust Him that He's going to show up in those moments where where sin and death and slavery and all the things come knocking that you could stand in that moment and declare that Jesus is Lord over all those things. If you've experienced God's grace, the power of God to save you, then listen to me, shame is shattered at His feet. As we get ready to approach the communion table, and Ben, you guys can come back up, I want to read to you what one of the hymns in the Dead Sea Scrolls said. So this is not in the canon of scripture, but it came from the same time period. It was a hymn written about what God was doing in their moment. And I wanted to encourage you today. So this is very old. This is thousands of years old. Here's what it says. By his righteousness, my sin is blotted out. If I stumble because of my fleshly iniquity... My justification is in the righteousness of God, which will stand forever. By his mercy, he has caused me to approach. And by his loving kindness, he brings my justification near. By his true righteousness, he justifies me. And by his abundant goodness, he makes atonement for all my iniquities. By his righteousness, he cleanses me from the impurity of mortal man and from the sins of the sons of men. Why? That I may praise God for his righteousness and the Most High for his glory. Amen. That's why we can take communion. That's why we can be in relationships with each other. That's why there's hope for tomorrow. That's why death doesn't get the final word. That's why whatever you're facing, you can step through it and not be succumbed by it. All of those things are practically available to you right now. So as we come here in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to file through and get some communion elements. First Corinthians 11 tells us that when we come and do this, that we should examine ourselves. A lot of times we, we run to like our worst sins. Like, do I have any really bad sins? You should do that. But I also want to just encourage you to ask yourself, 
God, where is the shame in my life? Where is there shame that you have already shattered? Where is there shame in my life because of sin that you have already paid the penalty for? That you have already given the victory for? And, and I, want, I want to encourage you to pray that. And when he reveals those things to you, I want you to just lay them at his feet. And then we'll take those elements together. So why don't you stand with me? The band's just going to play over us and let us enjoy the moment as we pray. You can feel free to file forward and there's elements on both sides up here. So just come at your own pace. Return back to your seat. Come on. And uh, in just a moment, I'll lead you through the elements.